0: Church, good to see everybody. There we go. I heard that. <clears throat> um, I was uh, thinking about several things um, as uh, Kay was praying. Um, you know, I <laughs> confession time. I guess maybe a little bit. Um, I've been doing this church thing for a, a while. Um, grew up in the church. I've <clears throat> been pastoring a church for a number of years. And, um, you know, there's something I'm, I've noticed. <laughs> I'm going to be careful. I'm going to get in trouble for this, but that's okay. I've been in trouble before. I'll be in trouble again. It's all right. But, <clears throat> you know, I, I look out at the landscape of... The the American church, in particular, I don't, I don't know any other church because I've only ever lived here. So, Um, there's a lot of churches. Have you noticed that? There's about 350,000 congregations in the United States alone, give or take. (laughs) Right? It's a lot of churches. And I see a lot of churches out there, but I don't often see a lot of disciples. I see lots of believers, you know, people who believe in Jesus, believe that he was who he says that he was, but disciples, people who orient their lives around the teachings of Jesus. I don't don't see a lot of that. Um, And it's not because I'm not looking. But I I feel like in in some ways... um, The patience that's required to be a disciple of Jesus, uh, we've we've kind of left behind, and we do things for expediency's sake. Um, and I got a lot of things to say about that, and it, it's going to come up because we're going to be entering an election cycle at some point here, and so it'll it'll come up again. But but here's the thing, because because I just made that statement, and it sounds very judgmental, and I understand that. But when I look at the evidence, when I look at the fruit of the church, i got a lot of question marks, and I need to be honest about that. Um, <clears throat> and, and so the, the question then comes up, at least for me, is what do I do about that? What, what do I do about having taken a bird's eye look at this thing that we call the church? and knowing that I'm responsible for this one. What do I do about that? Well, I think there's two responses. The first response is, (laughs) I need to start with me, personally. Um, I need to start with my own holiness, my own discipleship, my own ordering of my life around the teachings of Jesus. Because the fact of the matter is, um, I'm the only person that I can really Influence. Now, I was going to say control, but I'm really bad at self control anyway, just like everybody else is, right? But I'm the only person that I can influence. And so I really need to start with me. Try to be a, a better disciple today than I was yesterday and, and strive to be a better disciple tomorrow and allow Jesus to do the stuff in me that he needs to do. And believe me, there's a lot of stuff he needs to do. But secondly, the, other, the second response to, to kind of this bird's-eye view is to try to offer an alternative pathway, um, another option, um, another lifeline out to folks. And, and frankly, that's always been kind of in the background, running in the background of Thrive Church, you know, from the moment that we started this thing, as we, we said, look, you know, being a disciple and making disciples See, making disciples has two facets to it. One is being better disciples ourselves, but also helping other people find and follow Jesus. So this has always been kind of in the background of Thrive Church. And that doesn't mean that we get it right all the time, because we don't. But that's our aim. Our aim is to try to help people be better disciples of Jesus, followers of him, orienting their lives, ordering life around the things that he teaches. And the older I get... The older I get, the more I am coming to the conclusion that discipleship is dependent on connection to Jesus. Surprise, surprise, right? That ain't rocket surgery. But the fact of the matter is that staying connected to God every day is really what the task is all about. That's what discipleship is, ultimately slowing myself down, because sometimes I don't go very slow, <laughs> but slowing myself down enough to be able to hear what he's speaking. And, and that's the other part to this, is that we have to understand in a discipleship kind of idea is that God still speaks to his people directly. Yes, he speaks through his word, absolutely. Yes, he speaks through circumstances, of course he does. Yes, he speaks through other people telling you the truth, Yes. But also, he speaks to his people directly. And so I have to, to learn how to tune that in. And you know what? Sometimes my receiver ain't so great. It's like the transistor radio with the transistor on the fritz, right? And I get a lot of, <laughs> I get a lot of static. Surprise, surprise. And so we, we're, we're trying to, to stay connected to him. And, and that's really what this series has been about. I mean, most of you have kind of figured that out by now, but... This idea of spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, really kind of designed to help us find different ways to connect to God, to connect to Jesus, on a more regular sort of basis. And sometimes we have to do things that are a little bit different in order to shake ourselves out of the routine of everyday life. So fasting, for instance. And I mentioned this before. Every time I fast, and I'm not a big fan of fasting just personally, but I know it's good for me, because one of the things I realized is how, how, how much of my life is actually organized around food. Not necessarily Jesus, but around food. And it's, it's a very strange thing. Uh, but it's worth thinking about. And so, so we want to, to kind of point out some of these practices to everybody that you can engage in in order to connect with God. And then in the afternoons we've done these labs. A lot of you have taken advantage of them. We do these labs so that you kind of you get a test drive for it. I, I don't know what else to call it, but you get a sense of, of, um, of what it means to, to practice these things. We did prayer and, and we've done meditation, we've done you know, all the ones that we've been talking about. So I encourage you, obviously, to go to the lab today, four to five o'clock at Thrive Space, it'd be great. But we also have this other opportunity that's coming up, and I, I, I really can't emphasize this enough. Um, tomorrow night, from 6.30 to 8.30, uh, we have a friend of ours. Uh, his name is uh, Ken Love. He's a, uh, the state pastor for the Church of God in Florida. Uh, he's a longtime friend of mine. I've known him for, for a while. And Ken's been going around the country talking about this idea of slowing down in order to hear the voice of God. And uh, Ken is very graciously to, um agreed to come and speak to us, <coughs> and I'm really excited about it. I got a text from him on Thursday, and uh, in his words, he's jazzed, <laughs> which is, uh, I guess is a good thing, um, but he's really excited about it. He's going to be here tomorrow afternoon. He's going to meet with our executive team for a couple of hours, and then uh, he's going to meet with all of you, and then he's literally flying back the next day, so we're very I'm thrilled that he's willing to come and do this because I really want you to hear what's happened in his church it's it's astonishing I don't I don't know what else to, to call it but it's astonishing what's happened in his own church and his church is not much bigger than thrive I'm just going to tell you that up front but what's happening in his church is, is truly astonishing um, he's called this thing ignite and so you've probably seen some of the promotional material that have come out either on Facebook or in our newsletter and that sort of thing and I just want you to take advantage of it to come and listen to what what Ken has to say what you know what it's not just what Ken has to say I think it's what Jesus is saying and I just think he chose Ken and I think Ken would agree with that And so I really want you to to try to take advantage of it. So child care is available if if you need it. You just need to let us know. So you can come talk to Dan, myself, uh, James, any one of us. And uh, we're just trying to get an idea of, you know, who's going to be there. And if it's such where it's going to, you know, infringe on bedtimes for kids or something like that, look, if only one of you can get there, get there. I really think this is important enough um, for people to hear. So keep that in mind and let us know. Let us know that um, it's something that you want to participate in. I I can hardly wait. I'm kind of on pins and needles because um, every time I'm with Ken, uh, the Holy Spirit starts, you know, doing some really cool stuff. And and I don't mean that in a weird way. I mean that in a very beautiful, powerful way that that people are encouraged and I'm looking forward to it. So end of commercial. (laughs) So today, uh, this series that we're in, we're going to talk about community and confession. And um, <laughs> two words that you wouldn't necessarily think go together, but I think that it's Im- important to talk about. Because really, when you're practicing something, you're actually practic- practicing a skill. Uh, so things like prayer and fasting, we understand that it takes us um, an amount of time, an amount of practice in order to, to really get some benefit out of it. Um, But community and confession is a little different, and I want to talk about it. And so the first thing I really want to chat about is this idea of community. And and I've talked about this before. I know that I have. Um, It's been kind of a uh, pillar of Thrive Church is that um, we often call it the cheers factor because we want, you know, everybody to know your name. And it's really difficult to be, you know, here for very long without, you know, several people coming up and saying hi and, and talking to you. And I love that. I love that about our church. Um, in the passage that I want, want to take a, a quick look at, it's a very short passage, but I think it's really powerful. I want you to see this. It's in Acts chapter 2. We just talked about it a few months ago, but I think it, it bears worth repeating. So here it is, Acts chapter 2. And it talks about this um, group of new believers in Jesus. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now, just for, I mean, I've edited a couple things out of there just so that, you know, it would fit. But here's the important thing, and this is the word I want you to notice. It's the word fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And the word here that's used in the, in the language is koinonia. Don't be impressed, you can look it up too, okay? Koinonia is the term. Let me hear you say the word koinonia. <laughs> yes, it's fun to say, right, koinonia. And koinonia um, is often translated as fellowship or as community. And a couple of things that you, we need to understand about this. Um, is that, at least in this context, it wasn't just about learning what the, di- di- the apostles, the disciples, knew, but rather it was about the relationship that they had with each other as well. Does this make sense? So in other words, you're going to absorb something, and you're going to live it out within this group of people. We're going to fellowship with this group of people. We're going to hang out with them. We're going to be together. And the the thing that you have to get your mind around, this idea of koinonia, it's not just about a group of people who happen to show up at the same place at the same time. There's something intentional about this idea. So let me see if I can give you an example. So if we went um, down to the Woodland Hills Mall, you have a group of people, correct? That is not koinonia. However, if you showed up at the mall and you were going to go shopping with a couple of your friends, and you spent a couple of hours together at the mall shopping and doing the things that you do, that's more like koinonia. And the idea here, the idea that that word carries with it, is it is community or fellowship that comes out of a shared experience. Does that make sense? So the the, the thought is, is you just get a bunch of, you know, people together, that's not coining yet. It's when there's an intentional shared experience. So, if you think about the early church, you had a, a fairly large group of people who were experiencing Jesus for the first time in a very new way. The Holy Spirit had come down, the apostles are teaching and performing signs and wonders, and things are happening, and there's this shared experience, and so they devoted themselves to that. Does that make sense? So it's not like they're just hanging out with each other. Eh, that's part of it. But there's more to it than that. This idea of community is really about intention to it. And I think this is why um, community is truly a spiritual discipline. It's, it's a discipline because you intentionally have to make room and time for other people. How are you doing with that? Uh, And that's not a guilt thing I'm not suggesting it's a guilt thing I'm just saying remember last week we talked about simplicity if you want to simplify things understand what it was that they were devoting themselves to this intentional I'm going to live my life with you because you're following Jesus and I'm trying to follow Jesus and we're going to work this thing out together isn't that a beautiful thought that's really kind of at the heart of all of this and so it's a discipline. There's a, there's a practice to it that you got to get into. Um, and, and real life happens. Uh, I, my wife and I were talking about this not too long ago. Is um, There was a period of time where we had people in our house all the time. And then your kids get older and they get busy with stuff. And the next thing you know, we're not having as many people over. And it's kind of like, yeah, we, we probably need to fix that. <laughs> we probably need to to kind of look at that again and, and just say, what, what, is it, what would it look like to be a little more intentional about that kind of community? And I'm not talking just about small groups. I mean, just, just personally, kind of where we were. It was an interesting conversation. And so we have to, at least at some level, acknowledge that we cannot live life alone. Jesus didn't ask you to do that. Now, look, I understand the whole American notion of pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of a... That's not a biblical concept. Now, is it a good idea to take responsibility for your life? And to, to, Yes, absolutely, of course. You, you should do all those things, but there's no place in the Bible where it says that you're supposed to live your life alone. And there's this idea of community and being intentional about spending time with other people. To deliberately make room for others. There's there's this purpose of relationship, and that's to live life together because I need you, you need me. And sometimes I just need a perspective that you have that I don't. One of the things that I I love about our church is that we have um, a large group of demographics. We have some some people who are older, we have some people who are younger, and we all need each other. We need the energy of youth, and we need the wisdom of, of age. We need those things. The church needs those things. Oh, for heaven's sakes, I need those things. And I think that's just kind of the reality of of koinonia is choosing to be, and so when you guys come on church on Sunday, that means you are deliberately making time not only for God but also for each other, and I think that's incredibly important. It's a fellowship, koinonia, community. This this idea here is a discipline that we have to do. Um, either in a large setting or in a small setting, both both are important. Keep that in mind. Now. <coughs> The next uh, concept here is confession. Years ago, uh, I was pastoring a church up in Wisconsin and I was with, uh, uh, we were kind of doing like an all church meeting if I remember right. Um, <clears throat> but we did a Q and A session afterwards, uh, whatever our business meeting was. And there was a young man in our church um, who uh, asked a really great question. He just said, hey, what what does somebody have to do to kind of you know become a member? Um, I wasn't part of the Church of God then. I was with another denomination. We had membership. <clears throat> and uh, I said, well, if you want to become a member, we have a special service on Sunday morning when everybody's there, and we ask you to stand up and tell us your deepest, darkest secret. <laughs> Just kidding. No, we don't do that. Yeah, he squirmed a little uncomfortably in his seat. And I said, No, we don't, don't necessarily do that. Sometimes I think um, when we talk about this idea of confession, our mind immediately jumps to that, doesn't it? I know mine does. <laughs> so um, that wasn't a very holy thing to do. I understand that. But it was a little fun, just a little bit. Confession is scary. When we talk about it, confession is a scary kind of thing, because I don't want I don't want people to think badly about me, right? I don't I don't want that. Neither do you. Oof. It's a scary thing, and I think that we have this legal idea of what confession is, which means that I'm admitting guilt. And that's kind of what we wrap this in, is that. When I confess, I am confessing that I am guilty of something, and I, I think that's kind of a narrow understanding of confession, to be honest. Uh, and I think we need to, I think we need to broaden our understanding a little bit. Um, maybe it's because we've watched too much Law and Order or whatever crime show or whatever you know. But but there's more to it than that, and I think it's important that we get our, our minds around this. Um, you know, is that the only way of understanding confession? Is this idea of ad- admitting guilt? I, I don't think so. I think there's more to it. I want, I want to show you this. This is in First John. Um, so, uh, one of um, Jesus' direct disciples, John, who's probably the youngest of the disciples when he followed Jesus, could have been about thirteen years old. Uh, lived the longest of all of the disciples. Wrote um, the Gospel of John, uh, and then a couple of Uh, They're more or less uh, pamphlets, but we, we call them letters. And here's one in the first John. He writes, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he, meaning God or Jesus, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Now, I want you to notice there's three things happening here. It's very important that we, 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 we grasp this. First and foremost, he says if we claim to be without sin, if we are saying, no, nope, I haven't sinned, never happened, didn't do it, then you're deceiving yourself that every person is prone to sin. And here's how I know this. I do not have to teach my children to be selfish, right? And so we know that all of us are prone to a certain amount of sin in our lives. And so what what John is writing, he goes, look, I can just look at the world and I can tell you something's wrong. And he didn't even have the Internet, let alone newspapers, right? Right? So the point is, is that John is looking at this and he's saying, you know, every person's got this thing in them and if you say you don't have any sin, you're deceiving yourself. And then on the back end of it, if he he says, if we claim we have, have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, meaning God has already said, look, there's sin in the world. There's something wrong in the world and and here is the remedy. His name is Jesus. Here it is. And so we make him out to be a liar. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't need that. Really? You're going to call Jesus a liar? Oof. Good luck with that one. But the, the point is, is that he's, he's putting this, and in the middle of all of this, he says this beautiful thing. But if we confess. Now, is he talking about admitting guilt here? I don't think so, because the word that's used for this idea of confess, there it is, the word that's used here in Greek um, carries with it this interesting idea. It means very simply to declare. But if we declare our sins, that seems not quite as scary, right? If we declare our sins, carries this idea with it. Then God, who's, who's faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and purify us of unrighteousness. So there's this, ign- this, this idea of declaring, about saying out loud. I'm like, yeah, I got some sin. Just like you, <laughs> right? Just this declaration of saying it. And so what I think that we have to pull from this verse, if I can say this as plainly as possible, so I think we need to deal with reality. And the reality is, I'm screwed up and so are you. Could we just start there? Could we just start with that fact that all of us have something? And we know it. We all know it. We all have something. I got mine, you got yours. We all have it. But to deal with reality of sin first. So confession here isn't isn't necessarily admitting guilt, it's declaring the elephant in the room. We all got it. Does it make sense? So just kind of declaring that. Now we get a little help from another one of, of the New Testament writers, a man named James, and we're just see this in chapter five of James um, letter. He says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Now keep that in mind. This is the backdrop to what comes next, okay? If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You have to understand this as a whole. You can't just isolate this idea of confess your sins to one another. That's great refrigerator magnet theology, but it doesn't necessarily bear itself out in the text. Okay, we need to understand the whole thing, right? So keep this in mind. This is really important. This is kind of eye-opening, at least you know, as I was studying it. And first and foremost, the word here for confess, or for confess your sins to each other, when it says to confess, the word here is different than the one that John uses. Similar, but it's a little bit different. And the idea here is not just to declare, but it is, means to acknowledge openly. To acknowledge the fact. See how it's similar, but it's just slightly different. It carries with it a, a, the same kind of idea, is to, rev- um, to uh, uh, acknowledge openly. And so what, what I would suggest here is, it's not just the elephant in the room, but really it's to reveal some truth about ourselves. It's to reveal some truth about ourselves. In this in this case, it's related to sin. Yeah, I got this thing. And the other piece of this that I think is so incredibly powerful is that therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be, what's the word? Healed. But the word here word here in Greek means to be made whole. So it's not like just the sickness is removed. It's about being whole. I don't know about you, but that makes the hair on the back of my neck just stand up on it. And not because it's cold in here. What I think about that is that you confess your sin, you openly acknowledge that you got this stuff so that somebody else can come alongside and pray for you so that you can be whole. I don't know about you, but I want to be whole. I want you to be whole. It's an incredibly beautiful kind of picture. If you're suffering or if you're sick, You're willing to ask somebody to pray for you over that. Why would you not want somebody to pray for the sickness in your soul? Think about that. That's worth thinking about. It reminds me a little bit of the discussion that we've had recently about mental mental health. If you if you got a broken bone, if you if, if if you uh, are sick with with something, you go to the doctor, and 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 you're you're more than willing to tell people around, like, oh yeah, I had to go to the doctor today because you know I got this bronchitis thing, or I got allergies. Anybody got allergies in here? Yes, you <laughs> know it's, it's Oklahoma. We got allergies, but we're we're all okay with that. But as soon as we start dealing with mental health, it's just whoa whoa whoa. I'm not going to talk about that one. Why? Why do we stigmatize that that thing when we have no problem talking about it? And yet we do the same thing with our soul. I'm not going to talk to you about the the crap in my life, the sin in my heart, the darkness that I'm not proud of. I can't do that. And yet that's the backdrop that James is putting up. If you're suffering, if you're sick, if you're dealing with those things, you ask for prayer. Why would you not ask for prayer? about the stuff that you're struggling with in your soul? Man, that's potent stuff. You won't deal with your sin, you won't deal with your shame, but you'll deal with all the other stuff. It's interesting. Deal with the reality. Acknowledge it openly and ask for a prayer. prayer. Oh yeah, by the way, <laughs> each other, each other, confess to each other that doesn't mean that you're the only one confessing it means that I'm confessing you're confessing why because we all have it right this is the idea of community as being for other people and, and allowing them that ultimately we can be made whole church this is this is what I deeply want for all of us I always have as wholeness want people to be whole not just in their body and their minds but also in their hearts and in their souls that's what i long for and we need each other we need the community to actually achieve that and, and it's best to do it why because people know you or are getting to know you and can express grace and love to you and support your recovery that's community that's shared experience. Because I, you know, right now, you may need me to support you in whatever it is you're going through, but you know what? Down the line, eventually, I'm going to need you. Do you see this? It's a very reciprocal kind of relationship that's happening here, and I think we've got to keep that in mind. Confession is the first step to forgiveness and to wholeness. We have to deal with the reality. And, you know, the easiest way to do it is go, I did whatever it was please forgive me it's not complicated i got this thing that i can't shake i got this hurt and it's affecting how i behave and I, whatever it happens to be i need some forgiveness i need some wholeness here would you pray for me yeah love to not that i can do anything but i know the one who can and I want that type of presence in your life because it's not just one thing. It's not like gonna be one and done. Guess what? You're living life, you're moving along. It's probably gonna happen again. That's okay. That's why we have grace and love and mercy and sometimes we have to be that for one another. Now, here's the thing though. And I think this is um, just as important. As much as I want all of us to openly acknowledge and you know, be careful, You know, you're not gonna necessarily tell this to your worst enemy, don't do that. But find somebody that you trust. You know, somebody who's willing to live life with you. Somebody that you can be in community with, okay? And that's the part that's important. But there's there's another side to this thing, and I think it gets overlooked um, very often within the church. Yes, the scripture says... To open acknowledgely to someone else, but what happens if you're the person that somebody is confessing to? What if you are receiving that confession from someone? How do you handle it when someone reveals some truth about themselves? Um, many of you have heard me tell this story, but. Um, I spent a lot of time in coffee shops. And uh, uh I a coffee shop up in Wisconsin when I was pastoring there. There were two sisters that were the baristas. And I got to know them. They're very nice college-age students. And I was in there once, and one of the sisters was working. The other one was happened to be doing homework for school. And I just started talking, and, and then noticed, because uh, it was a hot day. Yes, um, Wisconsin does get hot in the summertime. It, don't live in igloos right but (coughs) she had a a tattoo of a symbol that I had never seen before I never I'll never forget this and I just said hey nice ink I said I I don't know what that symbol means and she kind of looked at me and she goes well yeah it has some meaning well that's like teasing a dog with meat (laughs) right I'm like (laughs) meaning (laughs) right and she said uh yeah um I don't. I don't share this very often. I said, "Hey, I'm like, you know, if you want to share it? You know, it's fine." And she goes, "Well, no." And it's kind of hemmed and hawed. And she said, "She said this is the uh, the symbol for people who have survived uh, bulimia." And for the next thirty seconds, which felt like thirty years, her eyes never left my face. Because she just revealed some truth about herself. And she wanted to know how I would react to that. And I, I remember just saying, I'm so sorry that you went through that. But wow, look where you are now. And I just saw everything relax. What happens when you're the person who is receiving... Some very vulnerable truth about someone else. What do you do with that? Because we, we often talk about the importance of confessing to someone, but what about what about when you're receiving that confession? How are you going to handle that? Friend, um, a friend, a new friend. Somebody met in a coffee shop. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> <coughs> I was having a conversation with her. She asked me what I did, and I told her. and, and probably, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes later, in the conversation, she says, "Well, I, I attended a church once, and, and she says, "I was in a small group for a year, and I happened to have a child, and uh, I had been in this small group for, for over a year, and somebody just asked her, "How long have you been divorced?" And she said, I've never been married. But everyone knows she has a child. A little bit of truth about herself. And she told me um, she was not asked to leave the small group, but something changed. And she ended up leaving the group, and it completely destroyed her sense of community with them. How do you handle when somebody gives you some truth about themselves? How do you handle it? You see, confession needs the safety of community. Community means we need each other. And your mess is no worse than my mess. Because we all got mess we also all have a savior who helps clean that up so confession and community are crucial they're crucial there's a relationship there because I think what we have to remember is that when somebody chooses to be vulnerable they are giving us a sacred trust they are showing this little tiny piece It might not even have all the context around it. So you don't know those things. And so there's this little bit of truth that that comes out. And and my question for everybody, are you safe? Are you safe for them to reveal that little bit of truth? Can we be grace-filled, Spirit-led, And love the one who is giving us that trust. Even if you don't agree with it. Because I can't change anybody. God knows I've tried. (laughs) But I can't. I can't do that. Only the Holy Spirit can do the change. And what, what God wants us to do is to create that community environment so people can interact with him and he can do the work that only he can do. Can we love the one revealing truth about themselves? It's a sacred trust. It's incredibly powerful when it's done with one another. So just encourage you to be that safe place and to be vulnerable to acknowledge that about yourself and if you have to with other people. You know, every single week Pastor James and I are off here on the on the side, and look I, again. There's no pressure. We want you to do what what Jesus wants you to do, but we're here, and I'm going to tell you right now, um, we're safe. I know James Dodson very, very, very well. He's safe. He's funny, but he's safe, <laughs> and I hope that you've. You figured out that I don't. I don't have this all, all sorted. And I'm still trying to understand this too. But I do know what the word says that if we confess, He'll make us whole. And I want you to be whole. And if we can help facilitate that, we are delighted to do that. It's our privilege to do that. We get to do this.